Welcome to Parenting Bites with Rebecca Levy. We talk about the intersection of parenting and technology. Everything you need to know about raising kids in the digital age. This is Parenting Bites. Hi, welcome to Parenting Bites. This is Rebecca Levy of Kids Views. I'm here in the studio with Amy Oztan of Amy Ever After. Hello. And we have Andrea Smith yet again via Skype. Hello. <laughs> Hi, Andrea. Hello. Exiled in New Jersey. Yeah. From the Jersey Bureau. Exactly. <laughs> Our very special. Um, this week on the show is actually a different show. It's sort of a slight back-to-school episode. Um, I went to the back-to-school massive event for Microsoft where they showed every piece of technology they're rolling out, um, which is all amazing and cool, and you walk through and I sort of cry. Like, so I'm like, why don't my kids have all this in their school? <laughs> um, including like all the amazing new 3D integrations into PowerPoint, and I, I, there's so much incredible technology. Um, and then, you know, things like the Surface Pro, the Surface Laptop, Minecraft in the schools, just tons of cool stuff. But my favorite part was the interview I did with one of the um, Microsoft and education executives about what technology means in education. So this is not an interview about what Microsoft is doing. This is not a product interview. This is about what you as a parent should and could be advocating for in your school when you're talking about bringing technology into schools um, and what you could be doing on your own as a parent the skills, the critical thinking, the things that can be imparted to your kids so that they can navigate and be successful in a technology-driven world. That doesn't, this is like way beyond coding. It's about this, the real skills that go into being those kind of thinkers that will enable them to navigate the world we live in and the world we will live in, which we don't even know what it'll look like. So hope you enjoy it, listen in, and then we will have our second segment, which will be our Bites of the Week. Today, Microsoft has put together this event that really sort of celebrates everything Microsoft is doing that's touching education. And it's everything. It's from Minecraft (laughs) to the laptop to, I mean, it was just a huge breath. Can you speak a little bit about why Microsoft is putting this investment into education and what they sort of hope to see from it? Yeah, I think it's it's a commitment that's needed based on the dynamics that we see, both with the opportunity for transformation that's truly happening in classrooms, but certainly the dynamics of the workplace. Um, It's very true that the way in which all of us learn, the way we collaborate, share ideas, communicate, get access to a rich, wide world of content has changed learning. It's changed learning opportunities for every student in every classroom and outside of classrooms, whether it's homeschoolers, et cetera. But even more so, the workplace dynamics have changed. Both the the global dynamics, a hierarchy-free environment where students work or workers work collaboratively on projects, don't get work done in silos. Work where where used to be, uh, you know, largely manufacturing-based, et cetera, where things like creativity and collaboration were not only not required, they were not allowed, to a world where creativity is the essential, you know, engine for uh, innovation and uh, prosperity inside of the economic environment of the workplace of today. So that's created demand for a new reality of students. And there are talent gaps in the United States and many other countries where companies like Microsoft can't find enough people to fuel the jobs to grow uh, the innovations that we have on Slate. That's true in many parts of the world. 
And so we've got to create a, a, you know, both a marriage of this new education potential that's being powered not only by technology but new opportunities for learning with this new reality of the workplace. And that's one of the reasons why we are, we're so committed to education. It's a priority for government leaders. It's a priority for parents. Uh, and as Sacha said today, um, the opportunity is the challenge. We have tremendous talent. The potential is for every student in every classroom, rich or poor, um, you know, girl or boy, um, rural or city, is absolutely there. And what we need to do is really create an environment where every student has an expectation to have a limitless future, walk into every classroom uplifted about what they can achieve, and then just work hard to support the teachers and the school leaders to make that happen. And when you do that, you create a tremendous engine for change. So it's interesting you bring up creativity. I think a lot of people separate creativity from technology, right? There's this idea that you're a science STEM person or you're an arts person. And what's really interesting about a lot of what you guys are showcasing, whether it be Minecraft, sure. um, the 3D paint, like all that stuff that's going on is how intertwined the two things are and that there's this whole, that's not true, that you're one or the other. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think you often see this happening. If you, if you talk to someone who's a developer or a coder, they're an amazing musician or painter. They have just diverse environments. Show me software that isn't create, built by creative people, and I'll show you bad software, likely. There's a tremendous dependency on creativity in that engine uh, for, for change. The other reality is that software is created with groups of people who are talent. They share their environments. They collaborate. The idea of coding in a basement, which has made people think about coding, is sort of a less people-friendly, uh, you know, profession isn't really true of the modern environment. You you build these products with teams of hundreds or thousands of people working together, sharing ideas, challenging and compromising, and you know, pushing boundaries along the way, and, and really sparking creativity. Uh, so you want to have these tools. It's, a, it's it's certainly important, and technology can be a great canvas for expression. We see that with Minecraft. It is fundamentally an amazing thing. But just like with Minecraft. Um, I see lots of kids talk to me about Minecraft with an energy that is just different. They're excited about what they're making. They're curious about what they can do. They're sharing with each other. And most of the time, it has nothing to do with actually playing Minecraft. Um, The kids, they spend more time researching, reading books, sharing ideas, and even in paper, writing out their Minecraft world plan than they actually do executing it in the game. Uh, and so I think that's the d- dynamic. There's a tremendous synthesis between, you know, technology and creative expression. And I think we can bring that together for students. So what do you think parents should look for when they're trying to, you know, we have this huge debate about screen time. Absolutely. And I think hopefully we're moving away from this idea that all screen time is the same. So what do you think of for advice for parents who are worried about how much screen time their kids are having, but, you know, maybe need to look at screen time a little differently what tools can they sort of grab onto and how can they encourage their kids to use screen time cre- creatively basically yeah, i think that's uh, certainly one of the things we're hi- highlighting here is the hacking stem lesson plans and tutorials which actually take physical computing out into the world which is tremendously important one of the things that our research shows it actually opens up interest in stem across gender you know one of the things that we struggle with in the united states and around the world is getting girls interested in STEM and coding technology uh, and uh, jobs and careers. And it's after age 16, it's only about 8% of the population of students, which is terrible. 
And one of the things that changes is actually physical computing. And you may see this as Arduino boards or Raspberry Pi devices, things like Microbits or Circuit Playground Adafruit devices. These are little computers on a, like a chip, essentially a micro board, which allows students to actually bring the computers into different things like problem solving. So I met a girl that built a little a smiley face reader, which has a little LED screen on these computer chips that hangs off of a plant. And the plant is connected to, uh, you know, water sensors that connect to this board. And when the plant is well watered, it has a little smiley face. And when it needs water, it frowns. And it's very, very, you know, very purpose-driven, but really ingenious in terms of a creation tool. In some cases, you build a computer that actually can create. I, I actually did an event in the in the UK, and I had a girl, a group of about 30 girls who had built uh, basically a, a computer-based. Um, um, electric guitar. It basically was a piece of cardboard and they had a computer, this little micro bit mounted to it and because it had an accelerometer in it, when they moved the, the thing, it created different sounds. There's little buttons that they could hit to create different sounds, actually creating a little bit of a musical instrument. But many of the girls, what they were really interested in is actually creating and decorating the guitar. So they you know, created different shapes and colors and patterns with their guitar and they loved the crafting part. And they learned the coding because of that. And that's a great synthesis of both creativity and really different medium. And a lot of that had nothing to do with screen time. So there's different technologies that can be embraced as well. But you're absolutely right. I think parents need to play a, a, a huge role in just being smart about what their kids are doing um, and balancing it in the right way. Are they getting skills that are going to be useful to them in their future? Um, when, they, when they're involved with something like Minecraft, what is that creating? And is there an opportunity to teach lessons around how do you um, share ideas? How do you collaborate? How do you do it in a smart way? How do you make sure that you're protecting um, digital rights? You know, one of the things you talked about with parents, first thing parents do is keep their kids safe online. Understand what their kids are doing. How do you create a dialogue with their students and your children about what's safe, what's not safe? How do you create that, that natural environment? I think it's critically important. Uh, and certainly you know, an area that we prioritize at Microsoft. So it's always so exciting to see all these things. I have to say, I was like, I wish my kids had that in the classroom. And I wish I walked down this thing like, wow. And my one of my daughters is at a STEM high school here in the city, okay. um, which is only 30% girls, by the way. Um, so how do we as parents advocate to get these tools into a classroom? I always feel like teachers are already overburdened. You had a huge pushback for, from some teachers about technology. Then you have other teachers who are excited by it. Yeah, sure. But there's no, um, they're never mandated to, to adopt any of these things. So how can we as parents sort of encourage our principals to take a look at these things, encourage our teachers to consider things um, like even the new PowerPoint with the 3D modeling built sure. into it? That is so exciting, but they might never know about it. Yeah, I think, well, hopefully this event helped. There's a lot of technology and innovations, many, many more than we even shared today that we make available for schools and, and teachers in many cases for free that just people just don't know about. Um, but, but I would actually say that what I want parents to advocate for is not technology. I don't want to say I need more computers or more whatever. I want, I want parents to advocate for the realities of outcomes that they want. They, I want parents to say, I need a personalized learning environment for my student. I need my child to be challenged in and out of the classroom. I need them to have a global perspective. I need them to be getting insight about how they're progressing before they fail a test. I need them to be able to collaborate seamlessly at home to work on lessons and see the class that they miss if they were sick or something like that. All of those things are basically technology-driven. 
But if the parent is advocating for the change, it actually puts a purposefulness into the context of what's going on. There are too many initiatives where technology is being thrust into an environment that teachers are not ready, there's no context or meaning behind what's going on, and some cases a teacher will figure it out, but in you know in 80% of the environment, the teachers are just too busy to really understand what to do. And when you, if you just drop a computer into a classroom in any city in the United States, my brother and sister teach in the city, so I understand this reality, the first thing that they'll do is say, what is this? Then they'll say, how do I use it? Then they'll say, okay, how do I turn it on, connect to a printer, connect to a, a projector? What do I do if it breaks? You know, how do I get more of these for kids, et cetera, et cetera. All of these questions wouldn't exist if you didn't throw the device into the hands of a teacher first. It's all servicing the technology. And in many ways, the journey that we've been on in schools in the United States and beyond, in many cases, is put technology first and then answer a bunch of questions to remediate the technology. What you've got to do is actually put the learning first, the learning outcomes first, and understand that technology is not a question. It's not if or not. Technology is absolutely part of the world we live in. It's part of the workplace that exists. Technology is absolutely a part of the agenda. There's no need to debate it. No need to say, what's the impact of technology? It's a critical element. What you've got to do is actually put it behind what you're trying to achieve. How do you get better learning outcomes? That's the goal. And then make technology serve that. How do you create more immersive experiences? And maybe we're going to use a Windows holographic or Paint 3D. But it, but it absolutely has to be about that versus the technology first. So that's what, if parents are advocating there, we need to do our job to make sure that school leaders and teachers know about these things, get access to these things. They're easy to deploy, easy to manage, et cetera. But I think we've got to shift the conversation and elevate to what's really meaningful. No, I think that's brilliant because that's um, that we joke about the closet full of iPads um, <laughs> that schools spend money on because the teachers or they don't have money for apps after or they don't know what they're or, or they become or they didn't know what to do to keep their kids safe or had to all those environments are troubled and there's good reason to use these devices if you had the right right environment to do it we just have to change that environment and change the culture of what's going on in schools and for me it's far more important to harness the learning outside of the lecture. So many of what we think about with, with technology is in the school, in the classroom, et cetera. But what I want is I want quality engagement. I want team-based activity and collaboration. I want teachers to be able to share and storytell, et cetera. And then once the classroom is gone and the, the, the lecture is over, technology fueling the interaction and insight that's happening. So parents get better insight of how their kids are progressing. Students know what they need to study for the next test. Teachers have good insight what's happening. Students are constantly emerging with new content and materials that prepares them for the next lecture. It opens up a new way to teach and learn. That's what's really happening. Uh, too often, I think we've been very literal. We're automating the old way of learning versus opt optimizing and embracing this new transformation that's possible inside the learning environment. And hopefully, because of the work that we're doing to be more thoughtful and purposeful, listening to teachers and school leaders, hopefully many of the announcements today just respond to make it easier for teachers to embrace this new reality. That's great. Yeah. Thank you Thank so you. much. This was really great and thoughtful and thought-provoking. Thank you. My pleasure. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. You're listening to Parenting Bites with Rebecca Levy. So we are back with our Bites of the Week. And Amy? Yes. So one of the most painful things that I have to do when I go somewhere is rent a car. 
I hate renting cars. I hate spending the money. I hate looking at the daily charge and going, okay, three of those, and that's my monthly car payment. This is so unfair. Um, you need to go to Detroit where it's like $22 a day to rent Oh, of course, Detroit. <laughs> um, but I recently had to rent a car in New York. Oh, that's the worst. Yeah, which is, it was a whole other level of pain. I've never had to rent a car in New York City. Oh, that's all we do because we don't own a car. Right, like we own a car, so we've never had yeah. to do that. But we were, my daughter's birthday party was someplace else and we were driving the kids and we didn't have room in our car for all of the kids. So we had to rent a car. And, like, the prices were just insane. So I was looking for any way to save money and not have to, like, drive out to an airport to pick out the car. So a friend told me about a site that she uses all the time called Autoslash. And I was very skeptical because it's one of those where you put in what you need and it's not instant. Like, I want instant. (laughs) You want Priceline. Yeah, exactly. I want want to know immediately what they have to offer me. But they actually got back to me in, I think, 10 minutes. Um, They say that they should get back to you within half an hour, but they got back to me within about 10 minutes with a deal that over the course of a two-day rental saved us almost $100. What? I'm totally going to do that. We have so many car rentals coming up. It was. um, I couldn't believe it. I thought there was going to be some kind of trick, but it was literally like the same exact car that I was seeing at the same exact place in lower Manhattan for like $50 we, by the time you add in all the yeah. taxes $50 less a day wow um, so I couldn't believe I didn't really believe it until my husband actually picked up the car and like <laughs> do you confirmed that they were going to add things in yes right. was. do you get to say like location Cause, everything because to me that's what's key when you're renting in Manhattan is everything it's like, literally like you say I, I, I need this location and they send you choices so I just picked the place that we had been right. planning on going to anyway because it was near my husband's work and yeah, it was great. Auto That's slash. Awesome. Totally using that. All right, Andrea. That's very cool. All right. Well, when you're driving in your car, you want to be <laughs> charging your phone. So this is my new thing, charging the phone in the car, but also not holding my phone in my hand, looking at maps while I'm driving. And I have a really hard time with those air vents, you know, the chargers. Oh, no. Thing. Those oh, are no. bad. I don't like I those. don't like them. Those are bad. Um, you freeze your phone or boil your phone. Yeah, no, exactly. No. Bad, bad. Exactly. So Mo- I'm sure everyone's familiar with Mophie. They were the, the cases that came out that would add battery life to your phone. You right. Basically, you know, double or triple the amount of battery on your phone with the Mophie case. So Mophie now makes wireless charging cases which is pretty cool for the iPhone or the Samsung. We've talked earlier about, you know, turning your iPhone into uh, a wireless charging phone because it still doesn't have wireless charging. Um, (laughs) So Mophie makes these cases, uh, the charge force that turns it into a wireless charging case. It also makes one that has battery in it, which is awesomely cool. But then they have these wireless charging docks. And so they have... um, stations that you can plug in you're basically like plugging into your car and then you just put this dock down and then you can put your phone right on top of it Um. and you're yeah or you can do this in the house you can put it on your desk you can put it on you know anywhere you want you just walk in put your phone down and it's wirelessly charging love this i've been using it and it's just great, you know, because then when you leave, you don't have to start unplugging and doing cables. You just pick up your phone and go, and it's charged. I can't believe I I, I had wireless charging like three phones ago. It'll be on yeah, the next isn't it one. crazy? I'm, sure I'm telling you, if it's not, on, but that's what they said about the seven. If it's not on the eight, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't I don't know. I'm I'm okay plugging in, but <laughs> <laughs> although in the car it's annoying. 
Um, all right. It is. Yeah. So my bite this week is a post um, on MindShift called Seven Books That Teach Kids About Social Justice and Activism. Mm. And what I love about this book list, aside from that it's about social justice and activism, which kids learning through books is always great, it ranges all the ages. So it starts with picture books, which is like A is for activist or something, <laughs> I think is the first one. But it goes all the way through YA. So it does the seven books travel through your child's age range. Um, so if your kid is too young for, you know, Invisible Man and <laughs> all those books, you can start with this. Um, and it's just a great list. It's a great list of books that people might not know about. It's a great list of books to buy for your school library. Mm. Um, and it's summer, so your kids can read and learn yeah, and maybe even get inspired to do some sort of social activism project, write postcards to their senators or something like that. Or governors. I'm big on the local because mm-hmm. locals, locals where your kids make an impact because that's all your education's local. So anyway, that is our show for this week. That was our, you know, education still summer. Some of you probably going back to school in one week, which I can't even comprehend. Crazy Texas New York, people. right? We'll have another, you know, seven weeks of <laughs> before we start school or something. Um, but you can find us on iTunes, uh, play it, rate, review, subscribe. And, of course, on Facebook.com slash Parenting Bites and ParentingBites.com. We'll have links to all of our bites this week. Um, we're not going to have links to Microsoft because it was just an interview. That would be weird. And right. I think you all know how to find Microsoft. <laughs> right. You can, find, you can find the stuff you need. One less link I have to look up. Uh, <laughs> there you go. And on Play.it where you can find Parenting Bites and all the CBS podcasts. Until next week. Happy parenting. Bye. Bye.